Along the journey of caregiving, one may encounter many paths, some with empathy and growth, and others filled with doubt and guilt. All of these emotions and changes make a bigger conversation that, when shared with their loved one, may lead to a better quality of life. Hello, everyone. I'm Cheryl Musial, and welcome to My Care Advisors. In our podcast episode, A Parent's Passing, Lessons Learned from a Daughter and Senior Care Professional, you will hear from Senior Care Advisor Kim Seidel. Kim is also a Certified Placement and Referral Specialist and has been an extensive speaker and contributor on subjects related to senior care. Kim will share her personal experience as a family caregiver and the lessons she's learned along the way. Welcome, Kim. Thank you for joining us today. Oh, it's my pleasure. I've been looking forward to this conversation, Cheryl. Well, Kim, let's start out by sharing a little bit about your journey, by sharing your story. Well, this is going to be a lot of first person. And um, frankly, even preparing for this, I've done a lot of reflection on uh, what it means to be a daughter and uh, have been... um, blessed to have six parents, (laughs) which means, of course, you know, we were all born, so we have a mom and a dad, but my folks divorced when I was quite young and both remarried, and uh, stepdaddy brought three in, stepmom brought two in, mom and dad had one, and if you're keeping a scorecard, that means I have 10 siblings because my parents had four. Um, Married uh, 40 years ago this year, and uh, my husband is one of nine. So that brings us up to 18. So I am in this unique situation where I have um, mother and father-in-law, which I've called mom and dad for decades, but also my own mother, father, and stepmom and stepdad. And actually, uh, four of those six have passed already. And so I find myself pondering um, the brevity of life. And, and in my work in senior care, I encounter many uh, sons and daughters that have been on a journey that's similar to one that I've walked. So this podcast is going to be a great opportunity for me to share a little bit of first person, maybe validate the people that are listening to say, um, although you're pioneering this territory, others have gone before you and also perhaps give you some resources to help with with planning for those days that either you're facing now or will come. Thank you, Kim. That's really helped set the story. So let's talk a little bit about the journey that you've been on. Well, I I started many years ago when um, my mother at the age of 59 woke up with a headache and died within a week of a brain aneurysm. Um, She was 59 And uh, at the age of 36, I found myself planning a funeral. Um, My stepfather actually passed 20 years later in the same intensive care unit. I stood in the hallway with my step-siblings having a similar conversation to the one that I had had with him regarding my mother. And that had to do with last end-of-life wishes, advanced directives. Um, my stepmother, she was the caregiver, uh, retired RN for my dad, who survived uh, a four bypass, <laughs> was an arrhythmia, was in congestive heart failure, had neuropathy. He was the guy who needed the care, but she had a clean chest x-ray in June. By that November, stage four cancer and passed the following March. After having a beautiful Easter Sunday dinner with my dad, I said, Dad, you don't sound good. If you don't call the doctor tomorrow, I will. 
Tuesday, I called the doctor. Wednesday, when I went to pick him up, I found he had passed during the night. That was 41 days after her passing. And he was a guy who should have used a walker but wouldn't, had a nice cane, made his way around the house as best as he could. Medication management, although he had multiple meds, you know, the dosing and the timing of that and off and down with a martini. Let's just say he didn't make wise life choices. So, there's a, there's a wonderful verse. It's a, it's a psalm that says, all the days ordained for us were determined before one had yet to be. And I had to really stand on that as I, I went through the passing of my father and stepmother. But all four of those uh, parent experiences, as well as what my husband and I have been through recently with his parents, has caused me to, to think of the thread that weaves all of those stories together, which is many plan for retirement, but few plan for aging, uh, even fewer for those last days and dying and what that may look like both for, for ourselves individually, but also for our family. My husband's parents, they built a beautiful home to age in place, uh, but had to move when dad started presenting dementia. Um, they were in a beautiful new apartment complex, but were asked to leave by management. Um, there's some really fun dad stories in there, including dad four-wheeling through the mud because he wanted to get to the garden hose. He's a gardener. Their home, their garden was like a botanic garden, but he couldn't do the things he used to do, and he didn't understand. So we moved them into senior apartment with caregivers and then his dementia presented in a resistance to caregiving. And that was directed at, as at, to his wife. I mean, of uh, his loving, beautiful wife. So he ended up in memory care community and he's still thriving. Um, and then mom had two more moves. <laughs> now she's in assisted living. So it's interesting. My husband and I have been um, in senior care since 2007. We opened a home care company and found ourselves helping families when Home was no longer the safest and most appropriate solution, and yet we moved his parents, what is that, four different times, and now they're in two, two different places. Um, but I understand the reality of meeting the need, trying to be proactive with the progression of a disease or a situation, but also wanting to do things that dignify the, the self-direction and the independence um, of a mom or dad. So I say all that to say this, this conversation we're having, Cheryl, is about, you know, uh, lessons learned by a daughter. And as that relates to um, end of life decisions and those advanced directives. Kim, thank you for sharing this. I'm sure there are so many listeners who need to hear this story and are so very thankful for your insight. I was wondering if you could please share a few important considerations when thinking of, you mentioned end-of-life care, especially for the wishes of parents and others, other loved ones, or in case of a health emergency. It's amazing, Cheryl, that we live in a world, and even in this country, where there is amazing medical technology and ability to, to sustain life. Um, but life in and of itself is not necessarily living. We have to think about the quality of our life and living as we get to the end of our lives. And so these conversations have to do with this phrase, um, living will or advanced directives. Uh, there is a process by which when we are not able to speak for ourselves, that someone else can. And that is a, a power of attorney role, and it's called healthcare 
power of attorney. And that's different from the financial POA, which many are familiar with. But healthcare power of attorney is um, a document that will give proxy or make an agent, an individual who you trust, who has, frankly, the character and courage <laughs> to speak on your behalf because they fully understand what your wishes are. And how are those wishes communicated? Well, there's something called a living will or advanced directives. And this is if in certain circumstances, how would I want my life sustained? Would I want life saving measures? Um, in the case of my mother um, with her brain aneurysm, they did have to do brain surgery. She did have to go on a respirator. There was a lot of very heroic and amazing things that happened. But at the end of the day, the ventilator was turned off uh, when she was technically brain dead. And that was a hard decision to make because nobody, I mean, at the age of 36, I did not say, hey, mom, do you want to be on a ventilator? But these are the kinds of things that we have to think about, as well as um, hydration and feeding via IV and other ways that life can be sustained. If there is a persistent vegetative state, if there is a condition that says this is not reversible, there, there's curative action and then there is ways that uh, just maintains life. And um, when we are able and clear to have these conversations, we should direct those that we love to speak on our behalf so that we are empowered and, and uh, enabled to have a voice at a time when actually you, you don't because um, that proxy, that healthcare POA, that directive is not engaged unless physicians and two or more uh, agree or sign off that that needs to be activated. So there's a lot of protection for you with that. Um, there's also another document, uh, which I'm, I'm recently aware of about authorization for final disposition, which is what are we going to do when I have passed? Um, there is DNR documentation, do not resuscitate. These are things that you might um, hear if you are in that hospital, <laughs> um, family waiting room, or hopefully with your family or your doctor starting to have those conversations. Um, as I speak, my, my, my dad, my father-in-law is on a hospice designation and, um, uh, and is in a do not resuscitate, um, based on multiple, the word is comorbidities, multiple things. You know, I mentioned a handful with my daddy. Um, but also the fact that he is not in a curative situation with his dementia and those other health issues. So it's a good time to have those conversations when, you are in a clear and calm space instead of again in the hospital. You have time for a story. So I mentioned my dad, um, you know, love this man. Some of my strength came from that side of the family. But um, yeah, I mentioned he survived a, a quadrup, a four bypass. He had multiple cardiac episodes throughout his adult life. And I remember one day sitting with my stepmother in the cardiac intensive care family waiting room and we hadn't slept and we hadn't eaten. And finally, someone showed up with a bag of popcorn. We said, okay, we sat there and we're eating out of this bag of popcorn. And what do you say? Like, we didn't know what to say. And we're sitting across from each other. And all of a sudden, between bites of popcorn, she spits out, you know, he doesn't even have a burial plot. And I'm thinking, oh, God, what do I say to that? 
And one thing I knew she liked to do, and she burst out laughing when I said, well, Norma, after this, no matter what happens, I guess we're going shopping. And we used that frame so that when dad, bless him, he came out of it as strong as ever. But uh, boy, we went shopping. We went to the cemetery. I remember walking around with the, the map in my hand and standing on pieces of turf going, how about here, dad? What about this one? We went from there to the um, the, the um, funeral home. They pulled the file prepped everything, obituaries. They're both very involved in their community and Lions Club and other organizations. So who gets notified upon death? Where does the obituary get printed? All those things I didn't think about. Um, but boy, was I glad when that cancer diagnosis happened for stepmom and then subsequent passing of my father. And I will say one more thing about my mom's passing at age 59. That was a tough one, but she and my stepdad had already bought burial plots which was such a relief, you know, and uh, I, I think as I, you know, get on the second half of my life, have I fully prepared. The most loving thing I can do is to save those who love me the experience that I had, which was being forced into making decisions on behalf of someone when it wasn't really clear um, my stepdad, even having gone through all of that with my mom, he never wrote it down. He never gave his oldest daughter those advanced directives. She was healthcare POA and financial POA. And um, one of the three kids is like, do everything necessary. And I said, okay, let's think about this. Um, I read an article recently from a doctor, board-certified emergency room um, specialist, and he talked about an experience with a patient with um, dementia, and she ended up passing two days after her entering the ER at that hospital when the family said, do everything possible to save mom, but mom had advanced dementia and two days later, she had cracked ribs from CPR. She had been intubated. She had been IV'd and had a uh, catheter um, and did not understand. This woman did not understand what was going on. So the most loving thing that that family could have done, perhaps, and again, these are hard decisions to make, but um, to have thought about is it curative? And what would mom really want? That that hallway conversation that I had with my step-siblings, they understood that this was not reversible. We could sustain life, but it was not in a curative situation. There's something called the um, dementia directive, which is very interesting. A doctor who has a passion for this has written some advanced directive language around the area of cognitive ability in the event that I progress to certain points, what would I want for a quality of life? This and other resources I'll share with you, um, Cheryl, that you can make available to our listeners. Oh, thank you, Kim, for sharing your story and oh, just clarifying those differences between all of the, the documents and the steps to take. And it's such important information to discuss in order to ensure that everything's in order. You just really continue to drive home in my viewpoint, in a moment, life changes, especially the change of life that we know of. And so now it's just really important to have those conversations and think about what the following care wishes would be, mm -hmm. not only yourself, but your parents and those you love. And so thank you for that. And what a tough, tough journey, but 
we can do hard things, can't we, Kim? We certainly can. And I'm reminded of a um, really beautiful Japanese pottery called kintsugi, which means golden joinery. Have you heard of this? It's where cracked vases, cracked pottery are rejoined using gold, silver, or platinum. And what used to be broken is now a more creative and more beautiful thing. And, you know, part of my life story is like, you know, how can I use this so that others can benefit and, and be inspired, not, not to feel defeated. Actually, pro-action, proactive living is the best way to, to live. And conversations with mom and dad, you know, <laughs> I, my, my mom is probably, my, my mother-in-law is more interested in, you know, what will be on the funeral supper menu than whether or not she will be allowing tube feeding. You know, what is important to her, the funeral mass, dad is probably more interested in um, who's going to get the heritage or legacy or inherited items and those things. But use every cue that you are given to pull into that conversation in times of calm. You know, we this is being recorded right after the holiday season, and everyone gets very reminiscing and very reflective, and it's a great time to think about, well, tell me about, you know, your parents, and where are they buried again, and what do you want? Do you have a place? And, and follow those. Turn the you shoulds into I'm going to. I've been thinking about these things. What do you think? Um, if there is a, a strong faith component to the family, which there is in my, my Christian family, is um, engage clergy. Uh, what was what would a celebration of life, a funeral memorial look like? And make it a positive thing. One of the things we did with um, my dad and stepmom was pull out a funeral planning book. And, and they were having fun talking about some of their favorite songs. And it was more special. My um Hit my dad's brother, my godfather, sang one of the songs at my dad's funeral. <laughs> but we wouldn't have known it, you know, except we didn't have the, we had the files. So these are things to talk about. Um, please do it. It's hard. Uh, another resource, is I, uh, resource I'm offering is the Conversation Project, um, which is a really great uh, PDF document about what to talk about. Um, and and even if you have this in snippets, get a little file started and make some notes or do it yourself. And then you'll know what to ask mom and dad. So I know it's stressful um, and, and it is difficult, but it's life. It's living. It's in all of its nuance, you know, the, the pain and the happy. Um, I'll tell you, everyone is going to sit in the front row of a funeral someday. <laughs> it's it's nice to know that you've been there and you just didn't sigh and go, oh, my God, the last couple of weeks have been hell. <laughs> to know that there's something written down um, and you have a plan is, is really a blessing uh, to go by. So um, and I think mom and dad, your, your folks, your step parents, they'll realize it. And there will be that daughter. Hello, there will be the caregiver daughter who's going to be the one who's going to make sure everybody's fed and these things get done. Um, and there's going to be those that put their head in the sand and don't be offended by them. They're coping as best as they can, even if it's ignoring reality and that's okay. You know, do that thing that God's kind of assigned you to do, I guess, about caregiving. You know, I think it, Ros Rosalind Carter has a great quote about there's only four kinds of people in the world. Um, those who have been caregivers, 
those who are caregivers, those who will be caregivers, and those who need caregivers. So whether you want it or not, you're going to fit in that category at some point in your life. But um, if there's one takeaway I want you to have is that there's resources, there's hope, you'll get through it. And um, it's actually a privilege to be a part of someone's life as they face the end of life and that they can do it in such a way that brings um, a celebration and a blessing both to you and to them. Even with uh, the work that we do as senior care advisors, we help seniors when they are in all kinds of transitions of care. I was wondering, as a senior care advisor, how do you help support caregivers and older adults, especially during these care transitions and for the planning of care transitions? Well, one thing that is universal is life is full of suddenlies. <laughs> and, and as we age, um, be it a, an injury or an illness, or maybe there's a diagnosis that is a progression of a disease, we all face moments when what used to work doesn't. We face a new normal. And within the world of uh, the work that I do, we tend to intersect those families when their loved one, their senior, is facing a transition of care. Um, and we can get those calls when it's, you know, let's consider options because dad just got the Alzheimer's diagnosis and maybe someday we will. But probably more important and people are more decisional when they're in that suddenly moment when we have to make a decision. And I, I joke with my husband, we've been doing this for over a decade. No one wakes up on Monday and says, I think I want to move to an assisted living on Friday. Generally, there's a catalytic event or reason why we need to do this now. Um, so that's where our work uh, as senior care advisors and, and personally within Care Patrol um, come into play. So we help those families uh, discern what those solutions could be. Um, our process is very comprehensive. We do what we call a care discovery. And the big driver, I'm going to throw words at you, but it's acuity and comorbidities. That is, what is your care level? What are your needs? If you have multiple needs, and many do, um, and that can be as simple as medication management, as I mentioned my dad's story. It can be meals, three meals. It can be house cleaning support and bathing assistance or standby. These are, these are called ADLs or activities of daily living. But we look at what's the care level because that drives everything. Really a close second is financial affordability. But we also look at other resources that um, that senior may qualify for, such as through the Veterans Administration uh, or other products that may benefit the financial ability of them to pay for care. We're looking at values and preferences and geography and many other aspects. Once that is determined, uh, we look at some, some solutions. So in some cases, honestly, if a wife is a primary caregiver and wants to go across the country to attend her granddaughter's wedding, but the spouse with dementia can't make the trip, we have respite solutions where assisted living communities have rooms that are designated as respite stay. So that is one opportunity. Or if someone is discharging from rehab, but there's not support at home or there's steps and they can't take them yet, whatever it might be, they may move to a respite situation with additional therapy. So that's 
one, and obviously home care. Um, I entered the world of senior care in 2007 by opening a home care company. And that's usually the first step. We need a little bit of help. Uh, Non-medical or companion caregivers, generally that help that is um, doing the ADLs uh, and honestly having someone shop and prepare meals is, is a big support, but medication reminders is huge and the bathing assistance and, and those types of things. Home care, obviously, and then assisted living. <laughs> Within that, there's multiple communities, there's community sizes, there's license levels and specialties, including memory care. And we also intersect with hospice because sometimes a placement into a, an assisted living or memory care may include a hospice component for additional oversight because that person is facing a non-curative situation but is no longer able to be supported at home. So that's our work. We, as Care Patrol, we look at the uh, care and violation history of those communities before making our recommendations. We'll personally schedule and tour our families, help them with the decision process, help with the placement process, and then post-placement, make sure that it's going smoothly. Um, and what's beautiful about the work we do, we're a national company. We've been here since 1993 um, doing senior care solutions but we do not charge our families. So whether we work with a family five days, five months, a year and a half, we are paid when we bring a pre-qualified new resident to a community and they move in because honestly, they have marketing budgets and they appreciate the work that we do because um, it's not, pardon the word, but it's not a lead. It is a, a new resident and we've done all the pre-qualification for them and assisting the family through that process. So can I just say this is an incredibly rewarding work that we do, and I feel like it's there's a need for what we do right now. Um, even if you don't know where to go next, that first call to a senior care advisor or to care patrol will help direct you in, um, in a way that is helpful. And you'll find people like me, other daughters and sons, <laughs> who have probably walked through what you're walking through. So you don't have to go through this alone. Um, personally, I've been engaged and presented programming with something called Five Wishes, Advanced Care Planning. It's a beautiful booklet. Um, it talks about the wish of the person. I want to make care decisions for me when I can't, the kind of medical treatment I want or I don't want, how comfortable I want to be, how I want people to treat me, and wish number five, what I want loved ones to know, which has to do how to do with how do I want to be celebrated? Um, I love that. Uh, I did mention the um, conversation project, which is also very good. And uh, Mayo Clinic has a great resource on living wills and advanced directives. So I know, Cheryl, you're going to make all these available to our listeners. Oh, thank you, Cam, for sharing, you know, really how you and other Care Patrol local senior care advisors help to support so many individuals and families at no cost, and also these amazing resources. Love the five wishes. Uh, read that it's 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 truly amazing. And thank you for sharing the conversation project and Mayo Clinic information. And you're right, everything will be available on um, the website. So I just wanted to end and ask you, 
You you have so many amazing stories to share with families, and I'm sure our listeners really appreciated everything you've shared today. Any other stories that you like mm-hmm. to? You know, I, I mentioned this suddenly in life where um, what used to work doesn't, and um, we just recently, a few weeks ago, my husband and I sat with his dad um, singing Christmas carols and eating smoked salmon in the um, memory care unit that he's in, and uh, I remembered what started all of that, which was um, a sump pump that didn't work, the basement flooded, of all things. So there's wet carpet in the lower level. My father-in-law raised five sons. Three of them are within a 20-mile radius, but he was carrying wet carpet up out of the basement and uh, fell and literally broke his femur. And what's interesting about people as we age, any crisis of healthcare can create a new normal. And his recovery wasn't back to the old Fritz, wasn't back to that 100% place. And um, the phrase we use is all the props were kicked out. Suddenly we realized patterns and in, in cognitive and looping and reminiscing and how we masked certain things. And even with the love and support of his wife and family, we actually allowed him and enabled him to live really well in the home that he was in. But it was obvious that he couldn't go back home again. And that was tough because we all helped them build that house that they were going to age in place. So that was catalytic to moving them um, subsequently three times. But uh, the suddenlies in life are always the moment when what used to work doesn't. And if I want to leave people with one thing that is, although your story is unique, just to you, never happened before, never will happen in this setting again, there are others that have gone through it as well. And there are professionals like our advisors with Care Patrol available to you. So take a deep breath, (laughs) take care of yourself, do something special for yourself, um, but reach out and get some support that you need. Well, thank you, Kim, for joining us today and everything you do for families. It's been a pleasure, really. It's been very um, helpful, therapeutic. I mean, I mentioned we've just gone through the holidays, so I've done my own bit of reminiscing. But to know that uh, my story will help maybe one person is, is a real blessing and helpful to me personally. So thank you, Cheryl, for the opportunity. Um, thank you, Care Patrol, for this platform so that we can share these resources. Thank you, Kim, for sharing this story with our listeners today and providing such valuable insight. To view resources, show notes, and access more My Care Advisors episodes, visit MyCareAdvisors.com. You can also subscribe and listen to our podcast on your favorite app. I leave you with this quote from Rosalind Carter. There are only four kinds of people in the world. Those who have been caregivers, those who are currently caregivers, those who will be caregivers, and those who will need caregivers. Choose to be inspired to live the best life every day. Thank you for listening. We are grateful to be your guide.